I'm about how old are we? Run <laughs> <laughs> the tape. Run the tape. Run <laughs> <laughs> VT. T every Betamax. Okay. Uh, no, no, yeah. It's let's, let's make this a bit more modern. Right. I, I shall press play on the press digital it. playback device. <laughs> Run the tape. Welcome to the Side Hustle Success Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Haunts, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin Taylor. This is a show for anyone that has a product or business idea and wants to go full-time on it eventually, or maybe you already have. This show is about product design, entrepreneurs, freelancers, contractors, free agents, digital nomads, and anything in between. In this episode, we're going to be conducting our first interview with our first guest, Jessica White, who will be discussing her side hustles that are non-profit community events. So, Kevin... How's it going? Yeah, yeah, good. A little bit tired um, because we've introduced a, a new addition to our family, um, a little baby boy called Tobias, who's now three weeks old. So, oh, wow. just generally, yeah, thank you. I'm just generally lacking a bit of sleep though, because um, babies don't sleep. But yeah, yeah, we're just we're just working through that. <laughs> I remember that well. Do you need me to uh, crank the coffee machine up onto oh, nuclear strength? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I think I need more than that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it is tricky, but I think I think it, hopefully it will get easier. As, as, as things go on, um, you know, the sleep will get better in the following months or, you know, probably about two years time, <laughs> who knows, but um, yeah, but it's, it's tough at the moment, but you know, it's good actually, I've had um, two weeks off, sort of potential leave, okay. and I've hardly had any, I think it's probably the most time I've had, had off in like 20 years, it's actually been, yeah, and it's like crazy, but it's actually been really good actually, I've, I've really enjoyed it, it's made me realise, um, you know, about the business, like things that we could do differently, and sort of the business sort of thrived without me, which is nice. Um, so, so that was good, you know, um, so it's, it's good to know that everything kept going even though I stopped. So that was good. But what have you been up to, Steve, then? So oh, I've been up to quite a lot. So it's, it's been a while since we've recorded because obviously we knew, we knew Kevin's wife was going to be having a baby. So we, uh, we were well prepared and we pre-recorded a load of shows just so you could uh, have paternity leave and not have to worry about podcasting. So yeah, I've been up to quite a bit. Um, I'm just about to finish a new course on procrastination for Pluralsight. That's Almost finished. Yeah, I was, I was actually working on the final module when you when you turned up earlier. Hopefully, we weren't procrastinating. About <laughs> <it>. <laughs> no. Well, I've been watching the news quite a lot this morning because all the Brexit shenanigans oh, are going God. on. Yeah, but yeah, yeah I, I was working at the same time. Um, as well as that, I'm also scripting another course on social engineering, which is another one of these executive briefing courses. So it's like a really short half an hour course. So I'm hoping to film that uh, not next week, but the week after. Okay, because that involves setting all the cameras up and completely making a chaos or turning my office into chaos again um, also I've just finished drafting my book for A-Press so I think I've been working on for about the last year so A-Press is a traditional publisher they make sort of computing textbooks okay. and I've just finished the first draft so now I'm at the peer review stage so I've now got to work with the peer reviewers oh wow okay sure, yeah you know, is what I've written factually correct do they, do they understand it do I need to explain things better so I'm kind yeah. of going through that phase at the moment What's that? What's the book about? You're allowed to say, or yeah, yeah, it's called Applied Cryptography in .NET Framework and .NET Core. Ah, cool. so it's, it's a security book aimed at developers. 
and it's kind of a very practical book. It's not like it's not like a reference guide that's six hundred pages long. It's more of a, a shorter, two to three hundred page book, which kind of tackles and builds up a problem and so on. Okay. Like as the book goes on, so hopefully that will be out in probably late Q one, early Q two next year. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a massive undertaking. They writing writing a book, doesn't it? That yeah. I mean, I've, I mean, I've written. I mean, I've written nine books, but they've all been sort of shorter, much shorter ones that I've okay. self-published. Whereas this one's for a traditional publisher, so there's a lot more mm-hmm. people and process involved. Uh, but apart from that, I've got my last conference of the year next week in Malmo in Sweden. It's an event called Uredev. Okay. Which I'm looking forward to. So I'm flying out there Saturday, no, Sunday morning uh, to Copenhagen. Then I have to get the train from Copenhagen to Malmo. That sounds, sounds interesting. It's quite good. I'm, personally, I'm kind of hoping my flight's delayed because they've, they've booked an event for us. <laughs> A traditional Swedish event on the Sunday, which is a uh, Swedish <laughs> naked sauna. Oh, no, no. <laughs> With all the other speakers. That's a bit, yeah, that's kind of a bit personal, isn't it? But yeah. No, yeah, um, yeah we've, we've been told coffee. you don't have to bring anything. We provide you a small towel. <laughs> a small towel. <laughs> and then after that, big apparently, towel. apparently it's cool down after the sauna, you jump into the Baltic Sea. It's like, I'm kind of hoping my flight's delayed. <laughs> oh, my God, that sounds brutal. Yeah, yeah. It gets a shock, I think, when you're with a cold. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's, that's hard. But yeah, it sounds like you do lots of interesting things there with these, um, all the different events that you go to. I'm quite envious, really, because I don't, don't do any of this. But it does, it's good it's fun. Really... I mean, my wife always says, oh, you're just going off on another holiday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just certainly sounds great. But it's not a holiday, it's, it's a lot of work. Um, although this one's going to be a bit easier for me, because I'm just doing one talk, and it's a talk I've done several times. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. So, so you've not got good. to The research. only challenge I've got is the talk slots at this one are 40 minutes, and it's an hour talk. I need to prune a few bits out and rejig it slightly, but that should be fun. I've never been to Sweden before, so... Yeah, well, good luck with that. Great. So just, just before we go into the questions, um, I want to do a little bit of follow-up on some of the tools that we're using. So a few episodes okay. ago, we talked about the tools that we use day-to-day for our work. And we both said that we use Slack, you know, especially as we use it for actually sort of planning um, these yeah, episodes. Yeah, the, the podcast, yeah. But something I started using Slack for, and it's something that someone mentioned to me, and it just never occurred to me, that it's actually a really good note-taking tool as well. Okay, yeah. So, you know... You might be on a train or a flight or just anywhere and you might have a sudden idea for a project you're doing, but I haven't always got like a paper and pen with me. Okay, yeah. So what I've done and what I've been recommended by people to do is set up my own um, Slack channel or Slack team where it's just literally just me. Just you, yeah. Oh, that's and then a good I've, got, idea. I've got different channels on there for all the different projects I'm doing. And then if I have a sudden idea, I'll just pull my phone out, load up Slack and just type a quick note. And put okay. it away. So the notes are completely unstructured. Yeah, but they it's, have a good, but it's a good the, way of just reminding the notes would get lost at the bottom of the because obviously it's in chronolog- chronological order. So yeah. obviously the old notes they'd get lost in the list. I don't know. But I don't know. I suppose not. I suppose you can. I find it quite good because the Slack user interface, especially on mobile, it's very quick and immediate. Yeah, so you, can just, you can just pull your phone out and quickly write a note. To be honest, I don't. I don't have. I don't have the Slack app, and the reason being is because I don't like to be disturbed when I'm oh, out and about. Okay. So I'm kind of a bit intentional about just doing it on the laptop rather than rather than have the app on my phone. But no, yeah. I, I wish I could say I was like that. Although I have pretty much given up Facebook. Have you, oh, wow. Wow, yeah. Yeah. Well, well done. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> Congratulations. I've not, not done it for any moral reasons or any problems with the Facebook company. Was, I was just wasting too much time on it. Yeah, it's too, yeah, that's a problem with social media. It can eat your time up, can't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, when, you, when you're sitting there and you're sharing stupid videos of elephants pooing and God knows what else, I was, I was, I was like, what the hell am I doing? You're wasting your life away, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's so, tricky, isn't it? 
I've not given it up and deleted it completely. I mean, literally what I've done is I've removed everyone on it except for close family and friends. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I've got like about 40 people on their family around the world because we still use it as a way of like, you know, posting what we're doing with the kids, yeah. which, which family like. So I've just kept it to a really, really, really small group. But a lot of my family don't post on it very often. So if I'm ever tempted to open the app, I was in the, there, yeah, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing yeah, there, so I'll yeah. just close it. So No, that's fair enough. That was a little off topic, but... Uh, no, no. That's there you go. Valuable I'm stuff. trying to kill my Facebook addiction. Okay, so we've got a couple of questions before we go into the interview. Um, so it'd be quite interesting to hear your views on some of these. So the first one is by a guy called Paul. Uh, it says... Do you have an end goal in mind when you created your business? And if so, how do you know when you've achieved it? Um, yeah, it's a tricky one. I think, I don't know if you were like this. I mean, my first goal was to sort of quit my day job and I kind of achieved that. And then I was doing consultancy work and then I wanted to sort of like quit consultancy work, which I've done. And it's it's kind of like, it's always a journey there. You, you never quite get to where, there's not like an end point. You can say, I've finished. It's always, you do that and then you think actually now I've got something else I want to do you know it's always a new I think my end goal would perhaps just be able to work on the projects of my choice you know all the things that I enjoy working on um, is my end goal which is kind of where I'm getting really um, I don't know what your thoughts are yeah well I mean before I say more I mean did, did you have like an overall vision of what you thought the product was going to be and then you've been kind of working in steps as like a roadmap to get to that or do you, um, you just let the product freely evolve yeah it's kind of well to be fair though the product kind of evolves depending on what customers want to a certain extent um so we don't have a definite end goal um i, I like this uh, actually in the recommendations at the end of the show we're going to mention a book uh, that i've read it, it doesn't have to be crazy at work and there's this great phrase in there where it says you know just go to work every day and do good work you know so i don't really they say they don't really set like goals of what they want to achieve it's just it's just go in every day do good work and you'll get to where you need to go yeah. you know it's kind of like that isn't it a little bit you know i don't know if you're like that or yeah i mean mine's, mine's kind of similar so for me my main goal in what i do i mean you know i do a lot of writing i produce courses but for me the the main goal is freedom so yeah. I'm so I'm not I'm not driven by money. I've got no desires to you know. My, my goal isn't to be a millionaire by the time I'm 45 or anything, or anything <laughs> crazy nice like that. <laughs> Obviously, I want to earn decent money because money buys you freedom. Yeah, yeah. So it gives you longevity in the business so that you can carry on. So if there is only lean times where business isn't going so well, I know that I can kind of weather some bad times. Yeah, yeah, that's important. Yeah. So that's kind of my goal. I. I you know, like you, I want to do my own thing. I don't really want to go back into corporate life again. I'm sick of corporate politics. Yeah, yeah. I had, to, I had to do that dance for many years and I've kind of had enough of it. I think I'm out, I'm sort of been out of it for 10 years now. So it's it, it'd be hard for me to go back into the corporate world um, now. But I think and I think everybody has their own goals, don't they? I think, um, you know, for somebody it might be, I want to be a billionaire by the time I'm 20 or something, like, something yeah. crazy like that. And fair enough, that, if that's your goal, you know, make that your goal. Um, but I think you've got to think carefully about what, what you want to achieve, you know. And also, I think a lot of people, they work towards a goal and once they've completed it, they're not satisfied. They want to go off and do, you know, you know it's like you're never kind of finished, are you really? I, yeah. I think it's, if you've finished, you've kind of you've kind of given up, haven't you, I think? <laughs> yeah, and I guess it's probably slightly different with my company compared to yours because I don't have a definitive product, whereas you've got still being calculated, which, which is, you know, a yeah, typical yeah. calculator, which are, you know, products that you're developing. I don't really have that as such. And my product is effectively content. So I, I do very small projects, but then once that project's been delivered, very rarely am I going to go and revisit it. Okay, yeah. So it's yeah. kind of just evolving content as I go along. And I just want to keep on doing that. Yeah, yeah, just keep doing what you enjoy. I think I think that's it. I think you should just, 
not really have a goal, but just do good work and enjoy what you're doing every day. And you'll, you'll, that's probably more important. The journey is more important than the end goal, isn't it? I think sometimes. And I guess the similarity of what we, we both do is we're kind of more in the lifestyle business. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think there's different, like some people, they want to have an exit, don't they? So they mm. build up a, they, they put their heart and soul in their, their life's work, you know, and they, they work these crazy hours to build up a company, you know, they're going to run for five years, burn themselves out and then just sell it and retire, you know, which is, which yeah. is fair enough, but that's not never really been my intention, really. I've, I've always had, I was at the idea that I'd always do this. I don't know why it sounds a bit silly, really, but yeah, I, I feel mean, like the, that. The last proper jobby job that I had was, was, was a startup and that, that was very much in that kind of Silicon Valley sort of startup yeah, you know, we were in Silicon well. Valley, we were just in Nottingham, but I mean, you know, that, it was very <laughs> much, they, they went for seed funding and they hired some people and then they went for, you know, like a series A funding for, you know, lots of money. And then that puts them on a growth trajectory to hire loads of people and it becomes really stressful. And then eventually, obviously they've got investors, they're going to want to sell and yeah, you know, probably, yeah. probably become st- stinking filthy rich off the back of it. Yeah. Good luck to them. Yeah. I think their goals yeah, might be very different. I mean, what they do and what we do are probably very, very different. I say we are on the lifestyle yeah. spectrum where it's more important sort of freedom. Personal freedom is probably more important to us than, than, than doing something like that. Okay, so next question then. So uh, this is from Phil. and You both seem really busy with your own companies. Does running a podcast eat a lot of time? I've always wanted to start one myself, but I've always thought it'd be a massive time sink. Yeah, I think I think it can. We we um, we'll let you into a bit of a secret. We we tend to record once a fortnight, and we do an afternoon, don't we? So it's not that it, it does eat into your into your work, you know. And obviously, we do a little bit of research beforehand as well. Yeah. So there is a bit of work in there, but um, yeah, it, it's going to eat. Into, I mean, I just do it because I enjoy doing it, and I think that's. Yeah, well, I think for the first seven episodes we did, it was probably more work than what it would normally be, just because we knew that you know your wife was going to go into labour at some yeah, point in October. Yeah. So we so we tried to prepare for that by pre-recording lots of shows I mean you know we, we have a workflow that seems to be working quite well with us and I'm sure we'll adapt it over time so we use Slack to communicate most of the time so as you said you know we meet up what once a fortnight or yeah. like once a month I mean now we're back in a normal cadence I expect it'll probably be like, be like once a month that we meet yeah up. we probably will to probably record like as you say like once every four weeks we'll record um, two episodes in one afternoon so it's not it's not that much of a hit and obviously we have to do some prep work around that but, but we yeah, we, we use Slack, so we discuss ideas on Slack. We have links to our show notes in Google Docs, which we build up over the space of a month, so we know what we're doing. So literally, by the time we come here to, to record, I mean we know what we're doing. We've got it, you know, on a laptop and a TV screen in front of us. Yeah, I think it's I think it's tricky, really. I think um, I don't think I would have done this podcast say like five years ago. I think I would have been too busy. Mm. Um, now I have because my business is a bit more stable. Now I've got a bit more free time to do to put. I only do a podcast because I enjoy doing it. Yeah, it's not that I've got any like real business objective with this podcast you know it's we're not really making any money at it you know it's just something that i personally enjoy doing i know one of the things i was mindful of because when i remember when i originally spoke to you about doing it i wanted to make it as less impactful for you as i could because my my business is content creation so when it comes to you know doing all the editing in logic pro and stuff like that i'm kind of happy doing that because that's kind of what i do yeah yeah that's your your thing isn't it so that's your day job isn't it um but yeah, it's, it's a trick. Around. I think you've got to be careful. You know, if you haven't, if you're busy building your company, you literally don't have the time to do a podcast. You, you know, I wouldn't perhaps do it. But if you have the resources and the time to do it, and you enjoy doing it, I mean, I'm a bit podcast. I love listening to podcasts. So this is this is great to do my own podcast. It's kind of like a hobby. Um, 
but I, I think you've got to think carefully, haven't you, really, about... I don't, you, wouldn't, you shouldn't do something if it's going to be a detriment to the other things that you're doing in your, in your life. Yeah, I mean, I guess, from our point of view, both of our businesses are reasonably well-established. Yeah, yeah, I think that's which, it, yeah. Which helps. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're saying about being a podcast junkie, and I'm exactly the same. So I used to listen to music all the time. Whenever I had headphones on, I was listening to music, but now it's probably 80% podcast. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm like that, yeah. yeah. I, I still don't get for all the ones I want to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Uh, Thanks to Paul and Phil for those questions. Um, so now we'll go on to the interview. So a bit of context behind this. I was at a conference um, called Tekarama in Holland okay. uh, the other month. So I took the uh, I took the recorder and some microphones with me and a couple of people I wanted to talk to. So Kevin wasn't actually at the, conf- at the conference, so I did the interviews myself. Um, but Kevin has listened to it. Yeah, I've listened to the interview you had with Jessica. This is this sort of saying that a side hustle doesn't have to necessarily be um, some kind of big business. It can be something like a community project or something else or something that interests you. Or Yeah, yeah. Or, so, you know, it doesn't have to be a profit generating or revenue generating business like we're doing. It can be something that's actually there for social good. So that's kind of the topic we're going to explore. Yeah, Jessica, and it's more so. like social businesses rather than, um, you know, business business. So, so yeah, that's, that's good. I guess the best thing is to uh, run the tape. Okay, run the tape. Hello, and we are here in uh, Wienendal de Klomp in the Netherlands at a conference called Tekarama. So I'm joined today by our very first guest on the show, Jessica White. Yay! Which is very exciting. It's quite ironic, really, because me and Jessica live probably 10 miles apart back in the UK. Yeah, about that. Yet we choose to do the interview hundreds and <laughs> thousands of miles away from home, which is quite funny. So welcome to the show. Very exciting, our very first guest. It's very exciting to be here. So what we'd like to do um, today is talk a bit about your story, because I think you've got quite an interesting story on some of the side hustles that you've been working on, (laughs) especially as you're quite early in your career as well. So Yeah, I'm still a baby in terms of technology, but I keep busy. So where did it all start? What's your background? Um, So I've talked about this a few times, but I originally started in neuroscience, I spent far too long in university, okay. <laughs> in my opinion. Um, I did a bachelor's degree in psychology in Plymouth, which is probably actually where it all started because I got in an argument with my tutor there and got thrown out of his uh, tutorage. I was a little bit headstrong back then. And it, with that course, you're not allowed to take part without having a tutor supporting you throughout it. So I took right. to the corridors and started tapping on doors. <laughs> And uh, came across this lovely guy called Matt Rosa, who actually only mentored masters and PhD students at the time. Okay. But he took me in, and in the understanding that he would treat me like a master's student. Right. So I'd be thrown in a deep end. And with that, I did my uh, my course with him, and as part of my dissertation, I had to learn this gorgeous language called E-Prime, which I don't think anybody has heard of anymore. I've you know I've, I've seen quite a lot of programming languages, but I've certainly not heard of that one. Yeah, it's a bit like the pearl of statistical analytics programming. So like how you have MATLAB now, yeah. you used to have E-Prime. As, soon, as soon as you said pearl, I felt a cold shiver run down my back. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a pleasant thing to use. Uh, so I had to learn it from a book and do this study where uh, it was an EEG study. So you uh, measure the electrical waves to put it into layman's terms coming from the brain when people are concentrating and see which areas of the head are activated. Oh, wow. Um, It was a lot of good fun. So I got some skills from that and discovered I really liked neuroscience. Um, From there, I went to Nottingham to do my master's. 
uh, again did an EEG study for that and then did a PhD consisting of fMRI which is where I started doing MATLAB. Okay. Um, that was great fun. I got to work with orangutans. <laughs> uh, one of the studies, which actually is getting published this year, so it's only taken five years to go through. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, we compared undergraduates and orangutan social skills. <laughs> it was really great fun. Uh, that was working with a lady called Elizabeth Runner, who still works with orangutans now. I'm just out of interest, who has better social skills? Orangutans. Really? <laughs> no, uh, to be fair, it was all about social learning and a lot of the people we were studying were very hungover. Right, okay. <laughs> I'm not the most social when I'm hungover either, so it might have been a bit skewed. So you're going to have to get some orangutans drunk first. <laughs> they do like their grapes, but not fermented. Right, okay. <laughs> they also go uh, in a bit of a strop if you leave them for too long. So if you go on a holiday for two weeks, you have to bribe them to, to like look at you again. Oh, wow. Uh, they go into a right sulk. But... Yeah, that was great fun. It was a great experience. Um, unfortunately, I had to leave my PhD. Uh, my first supervisor went to another university, took my right. funding. Second one got pregnant and I ran out of supervisors. Uh, so the university asked me if I wanted to fund myself. <laughs> yeah, that sounds expensive. Yeah, £300 an hour for an fMRI scan plus everything else. Uh, I, I'm not from the most affluent background, so that wasn't really possible. £300 an hour? Yeah. That's how much it costs for an fMRI. That's insane. Um, and that's the cheap <coughs> ones. <laughs> uh, so I was dating my other half, Morton, at the time, and he was a developer. And we talked through the different skills that I had gained from university, programming, people. I like programming a bit more than I like therapy, right, <laughs> in all <okay>. honesty. <laughs> I don't have the patience. <laughs> um, so he gave me a challenge if i could complete a couple of exercises within three months in javascript with no help he would fund my degree to do a conversion course oh wow that's nice of him it is but have you done javascript without any <laughs> previous programming I'm, experience I'm, I'm, not the biggest fan of, I'm not the biggest fan <laughs> of javascript so i i tend to shy away from web development and do more back end yeah uh, so do i now but um it was actually all uh, kind of computational code he had me doing, I had to get a text, a full text file and pass it down into text messages. All right, okay. So I had to learn about character sets as well as actually um, having different values for different characters. It was really great um, as a first challenge, but I was pulling my hair out. I'm surprised I still have any. Um, I, th I think JavaScript has that effect on most people. Yeah, yeah. I keep going back to it, though. All right. <laughs> I do .NET, and then I'll go back to some JavaScript. Just a glutton for punishment. Yeah, glutton for punishment. <laughs> so I guess that was the, the genesis for you wanting to go into software development. Yeah, um, I did the conversion course at Birmingham, which is a year where you do uh, a lot of different modules and then the equivalent of like a master's dissertation at the end. Okay, um, so, so was that actually a master's you received at the end of it? Yeah. Oh, right, okay. Um, so I did a, an, an AI challenge for my dissertation, mm. but had to go from the algorithm up and code all of it. Now, if there was anything where I was going to lose my hair, it was that one. That does sound quite complicated. It was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> the best bit was, uh, so my supervisors didn't write in .NET, they just did Java. But I wanted to do .NET because Nottingham's primarily .NET at the moment. Right. Well, it was back then, certainly. Um, <laughs> and they gave me this white paper that I had to work off. It wasn't for two months in 
and I couldn't get this thing to work, and I didn't know why. They didn't give me half the algorithm. <laughs> oh, right. That's nice, it? Was, was that a mistake on their part? Yeah, it was deliberate? a mistake. Right, okay. But, like, there was me going, I'm so stupid, why can't I figure this out? And I got my mate, who was uh, doing a mathematics degree at the time, to look at it, and they went, you don't have all the information. <laughs> it's like all these Greek letters. Like, how do you know? <laughs> um, yeah, so that was good fun. But uh, yeah, completed that and got my first job in software development. So that means you've effectively left university with one degree and two masters? Uh, overall, I've got a BSc, two masters and an MPhil. I am the most overqualified idiot you'll ever know. <laughs> I was say, I never even completed my degree. I left, <laughs> I left before the end of it because I had a good job offer. Ah, nice. I think that's the best way to go, to be honest. I've got a lot of debt and a lot of useless knowledge. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when, when, I was, when I was at university, the way it was funded was different. So you still got quite good grants and local education funding. Yeah. So when I left uni, I didn't really have... I had debt, but not a huge amount. But the university I went to, I wanted to do compiler design and high-end graphics programming. So I oh, wow. worked in... Well, I did computer games back then. So I did my work experience and then went to apply for those courses on the final year and they cancelled them due to lack of demand. No. But by that point, all that was left was you know, the boring business programming courses, which at the time, because I was an you know, arrogant kid, wasn't really interested in doing that. Well, funny enough, I funded, so I, uh, I funded my first master's kind of related to technology as well. So I did um, ICT, as we all do, in GCSE level. And we were doing Dreamweaver back then. Okay. I've always been a bit of a crafty businesswoman to some degree, and I found out that councils will fund small companies £250 to get a website made. Right. So I went around to a whole load of pubs in the area, I'm from the southwest, so there's plenty of them, and said, right, if you get this, give me 200 quid, you can keep 50 quid, and I'll make your website in Dreamweaver. <laughs> and I did that for um, a couple of summers. I made some terrible websites, so I apologise to anyone who actually used them. But um, it funded my master's. <laughs> it's actually how oh, I right. for so that. You, you've been a bit of a hustler right from the start then. Oh yeah. <laughs> so when you left university, then where, where did you go to work at that point? I went to Oakbrook Finance in Nottingham. Okay. Yeah, I worked for a loans firm for a bit. So that, is that consumer finance? Um, it's mostly personal loans. Uh, right. So they cover likely loans. Is their main product. Okay. Um, learnt a lot there. Uh, went from having two gigantic monoliths splitting them out into microservices so I learned right. a lot about that um, I was there when they were moving on to using early core <laughs> yeah that that what, was interesting what, what, what's that, what's that? Um, so as we're on core 2.2 now I think we were on one back then oh you mean .NET core .NET core yeah okay yeah um, so used that uh, did a little bit of docker there as well so I learned a lot and they were very scrum, so I learned a hell of a lot about process. Right. Um, yeah, very scrum. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's a good thing. It is. Um, it was a great starting point as well, but towards the end, I was working for mainly a back-end team. It's very much where my interests lie. And we moved on to more of a Kanban sort of format because we were much more reactive than right. the other team. Okay. So it made more sense for us. We're having to fix a lot of bugs. <laughs> yeah, I imagine if you're, if you're trying to break up a big monolithic application into smaller components, it's, it's quite a lot of work involved there. It is, but it's also where my interest in monitoring has come from. Okay. Um, and also it's taught me a lot about testing because making sure that you're not breaking anything in a system while mm. shifting it across or re-implementing it, it's a tricky problem to solve and monitoring and testing really help with that. 
So monitoring, that's what you've been talking about at Tecorama this week, isn't it? Yeah, it's what I like to talk about a lot. <laughs> um, so when I first started at Oakbrook, there were many, many dashboards. Uh, I, I talked in my previous talk about monitoring as a tick box exercise and giving it to devs is just like a, we need monitoring. Yeah. And it was very much that sort of attitude to begin with there. Uh, so the dashboards didn't really have any guidance or purpose behind them. And they were just a mishmash of semi-interesting information, impossible to use. <laughs> right. Um, so, so they've gone through the process of putting one in place, but I actually thought about what they can use the data for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've, I've experienced that quite a few times. I, I think most places have that problem. Um, but because we were doing that kind of work, and it made sense to use the dashboards actively. I started to learn more about better ways of implementing them and learn about how the rest of the business were using dashboards as well. And that ended up here, really. Great. <laughs> uh, is, is that what led to your sort of public speaking career as well? Yeah, I suppose that was a, com a combination of things. Um, so I was running Women in Tech in my first year of Oak Brook. Uh, I say running, I, I created it. <laughs> Um, I've, I'm quite an introvert, really, and I'm not that confident with public speaking. Mm. But running a meetup started having to stand in front of small crowds and just doing the intro, at least. Um, then I started to volunteer for conferences. Uh, Morton was a huge fan of NDC, mm -hmm. so I volunteered for NDC. Um, and that's where I got encouraged to do a bit more speaking. Because I crashed PubConf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, PubConf is, uh, if people have not heard of it, it's kind of like a, a small party after conference where there's a bunch of speakers who have to do talks that are timed. So you have, what, is it 15 seconds per slide? Yeah, about that. And the, the talks last five minutes and they're a bit more risque. You wouldn't do them at a normal conference. No, definitely not. Um, it was one of the early PubConfs as well. So mm. it's where they did... They had somebody from the audience doing a random talk as well. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I decided I was sitting with speakers. I probably had a bit too much cider. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I ended up stealing Dylan Beatty's, Beatty's hat at one point <laughs> in that <laughs> evening. How I'm still alive, I don't know. Um, but yeah, after that, because uh, I got talking to a couple of people who spoke and realized that they were human and not scary at all. And weren't these all-knowing beings. Some of them are, hmm. but... The majority aren't. Yeah, um, most of them are nice. And most of them are nice. Uh, and from there, uh, I got talking to Matt McLaughlin, who speaks at NDC, and he's helped me and encouraged me to go into it. Um, Todd Gardner went through abstracts with mm -hmm. me, gave me a lot of feedback, and yourself. Um, so yeah, I've I'm, had I'm, a lot I'm, of encouragement. I remember, I remember speaking to you quite a while ago, encouraging you to apply for NDC London. Yeah, and I all thought you were mad. But you, got, you got in though. <laughs> I did. I still don't know how I managed that. <laughs> and that was great because my very first talk at NDC London, uh, I'd started my third job mm -hmm. that week. And uh, my boss, uh, my boss's boss, was sitting in pretty much the second row. So that wasn't terrifying at yeah, all. Yeah, there's no pressure there. No, no, no pressure at all. <laughs> I always find the hardest thing because through doing public speaking, I've met so many people, lots of different friends around the world. I actually think the hardest thing is when you're doing a talk, and then your friends, who are also public speakers, come and sit in the first row. Because <laughs> there's only one reason why they're sitting in that first row, and that's to heckle you. <laughs> oh, you get some great feedback, though. <laughs> you do, yeah. They're not scared to criticise you at all. 
Yeah, no, that is very, very true. <laughs> so you mentioned um, the user group that you run called Women in Tech. So I guess, in a way, that is kind of your first side hustle, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, and the, to begin with, I was doing that very much by myself. Um, tried to make it on my own a little bit too far, to be honest, before I started asking for help from people who were running these things. So, first of all, what, what is Women in Tech? Uh, Women in Tech is actually quite deceptive by its name, I guess. It's a fully inclusive meetup in Nottingham. Okay. Um, all of the speakers identify as female. That's right. the one difference from the likes of Tech Nottingham. And it, the aim was to create a safe space for people who don't necessarily feel that comfortable at normal meetups. Right, okay. Um, when I first started going to meetups in Nottingham, which I did very early on, I highly recommend anyone who's doing a degree just to go, or if you're just interested in tech, to go mm. to a meetup. Um, there weren't that many women in the room. Um, there weren't that many people of, well, people who weren't Caucasian <laughs> right. in the room. Um, and I, I just thought it was a bit of a shame because they're missing out on so much. So I, I was talking to Emma and Andrew Seward, who run Technotium. Yeah. And they said I should just do something about it if it annoyed me so much. Okay. So That's quite good advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if something irritates you, do something yeah. about it. The same with programming. Don't, don't talk about it, do it. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, otherwise nothing's going to get done. So from that, I started Women in Tech. Um, first of all, it was aimed at women but it's, it's grown fantastically. So we're all forms of minority now, and it's now run by Helen Clark and Emma Seward. Um, so it's part of the Technotium umbrella. Okay, so you help build it up and then you, you sort of pass the mantle on yeah, to someone else. Um, I ran it for 18 months, um, but running a meetup can take a good eight or nine hours of your week, as you well know. Yeah, so I, I run a meetup called Derbyshire.net with a, with a friend of mine and, and I, I can concur, it is a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, and being still relatively new in development, I mean, I'm trying to do my own learning outside of hours as well, and trying to progress technically, because, uh, you know, that's what I want to do. Mm. So I was finding that I just wasn't having any time anymore. Um, so I took on a co-organiser, and then when I started to do more blogging and speaking and more of my own research, I just fully handed it over uh, okay. to be ran by somebody else. So thinking more about sort of logistics of running a user group, so I guess it's a non-profit, so you're not charging people to attend. Oh yeah, no, it's completely non-profit. <laughs> so if, in, in that case, how do you go about funding it? And uh, so that was definitely a learning curve. Um, I lost money in the first year. Okay. Um, my own money. Right. <laughs> I'm not going to say how much. <laughs> um, because I was a bit, I, I thought sponsors were doing me a favour by sponsoring something. Okay. And to some degree, sponsors are. Um, but it wasn't until I was talking to one of the marketing people that I realised with a meetup like Women in Tech or anything that's encouraging people into technology actually helps the business as well. Mm. Not only with recruitment and with their own advertising, but also in terms of uh, they have certain aspects they need to meet in terms of having... Um, diversity in their workforce it also counts towards the initiatives they support okay uh, so i realized that i couldn't just kind of go please give me 50 quid so i can buy some drinks please uh it was turning around and making it more of a business proposition of this is what you get this is what is funding hmm. 
please give me this amount because this is what I need to pay for XYZ. So what sorts of costs would you typically need to cover? Um, food and drink surprisingly cost quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, to begin with, venue as well, but I ended up getting a free venue. Okay, that's um, good. It's surprising how nice people can be if they're a sponsor but they're covering venue and they have a venue. Right. <laughs> It, it makes everything oh, a lot so was, easier. Your, was, was one of your main sponsors the actual owner of the venue? Yeah, so I moved to Accelerate Places. Um, originally, we were at the National Video Game Arcade. Okay. Um, really great venue, and they were very supportive at the beginning. Um, unfortunately, it just costs too much for a monthly meetup. Yeah, I mean, I've been there before. I can imagine a venue as nice as that costing quite a lot of money. Yeah, it was reasonable for what it was, but honestly, Unless we took on quite a few more sponsors, we wouldn't have been able to cover it. Right. Um, so we moved to Accelerate Places and they gave us a venue for free because I was working in the building at the time as well. And uh, so that's venue, food and drinks. Sometimes it's just a little extras as well. So we like having a Christmas party, for instance. Okay. Um, we had Hacksock in two years ago, who are a makerspace in Nottingham. Mm. And they were teaching people how to solder together badges that flashed. Okay. And it was really good fun. Uh, so we like to be able to fund activities like that and then sometimes we'll get extra sponsorship for uh, bigger events so during my time at women in tech um, i ran a charity event raising money for co club when hidden figures came out so we rented out a cinema screen uh, gave away tickets in exchange for donations towards co club okay. who uh, help children learn how to code outside of school oh brilliant yeah um really fully support them as much as I can in anything I do, to be honest. Um, and we also arranged for teams to go to Hack, Man uh, Hack 24. So Hack 24 have had teams the last two years for Women in Tech. Um, we put together attendees who don't necessarily know each other, uh, arranged them to have a meal beforehand so they can meet and talk about teams. Mm. And all the teams that have gone have won a prize now. <laughs> all right, cool. So they do all right. <laughs> Um, but it's nice because, again, hackathons are scary to go alone. So it's nice to be able to go, you can go to this thing and learn and have a great time, but you can know the people you're going with and be supported. Yeah, so what, what exactly is Hack24? Is that one of the, is it where it's basically you're a team of people, you go along and then you, you work on your own project or? Uh, no, is, so is it set, is it you can do thing? that. You can definitely do that. Uh, they do have set challenges from companies in Nottingham as well. Okay. So it's a hackathon in Nottingham. Um, it's arranged in the Market Square building, the massive one in the centre. Okay, the big, is that the big, um, is it the council offices? Yeah, the big yeah. council offices. It's actually in that hall. Um, so it's a fantastic venue. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, and you go in, it's teams between one and four. And it, you can take part in challenges, try and make something in 24 hours to meet them and win prizes. Um, I actually went last year with Morton and we worked on our own thing because hmm. Not because we didn't want to take part, because we're kind of under pressure to make the thing, to be honest. Um, but it's great fun, because not only are you going there and making stuff, but there's good food and there's activities. They did Deal or No Deal last year, where Andrew dressed up as uh, Noel Edmonds. Oh, right. And had people with the red boxes taking Deal or No Deal. Morton came in dressed as Mr. Blobby and attacked them. It was, it's, I, bet it's that was very, I bet that was quite surreal. <laughs> it was very odd. Absolutely hilarious. Uh, they do lots of strange things. So a couple of years, they did an impromptu birthday party 
they just selected an attendee and decided it was going to be their birthday during the event. Okay. <laughs> and came in with balloons and piñatas. And... Was there beer involved at this point? There wasn't. There was beer involved later. Oh, right. <laughs> I think there's definitely some wine involved in some of the organisation points. Right. Yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a great event. Um, uh, it's the fifth year, actually, coming up in March of Hack24. And the reason I, I'm mentioning so much is I'm quite fond of it. Um, so when I was just about to go into university, I went to the very first Hack24. Right. Uh, that was terrifying. I didn't know any code. I hadn't done any code beyond MATLAB at that point. I joined a team of strangers and had to quickly learn PHP. <laughs> um, no pressure. But so it kind of means that as I've grown up with learning tech, I've gone to a Hack24 every year and seen my progress. And okay. I've so grown up a, with it. So now it's a yearly ritual. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. I went just before I started my degree, and now I'm three years in, as of last month, into having a job as a developer. And it's five years of Hack24 next year, so... Oh, fantastic. It's nice. You said you um, you ran Women in Tech for 18 months? Yeah, about that. Might what, be a what, what made over. you want to hand it over at that point? Uh, just the amount of work it took, to be honest. Um, I had to sit down and consider my priorities, because I was burning out a lot. Right. Um, I myself, I suffer quite a bit from anxiety. So, if I burn out, I burn out spectacularly. <laughs> <laughs> Do it with style. Oh yeah, full banshee at home sometimes. Um, so I had to prioritise whether I wanted to sacrifice learning technology at home, um, the speaking, and trying to progress with that. Yeah. Whether I wanted to sacrifice anything at work or take a step back with women tech. At that point, I was organizing it with Helen, but it was just still too much work. Right. Partly my fault, I'm a little bit of a control freak, so <laughs> I take on a bit too much and I'm aware of that. Um, I'm working on it, I promise. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I just had to take a step back from it. Yeah. Although saying that, you've now started a new side hustle project, haven't you? Yeah, I'm insane. <laughs> Which, from the sounds of what you've told me so far, is going to be even more work. Yeah, so yeah, I think, you, I, think, I, think, I think you may be slightly insane, but is, is, that, <laughs> is that something you want to talk about and share? Yeah, happily. Um, so as we know, devil makes work with idle thumbs. So I can't really say I've ever idle, uh, but I'm arranging a conference next year in Nottingham, DDD East Midlands, part Excellent. of the developer, developer, developer chain of conferences. Okay. Not domain-driven design. <laughs> there are too many Ds in development. Quite, quite a lot of people make that mistake, actually, when you say DDD, and they think domain-driven design, which is a very geeky software development-y thing. So for listeners who are not software developers, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> um, in fact, first PubConf, I made a joke about why developers um, so obsessed with double Ds. Because we've got DDD, TDD, BDD. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, we need to move on to another letter, really. But yeah, we've got a DDD East Midlands happening next year, 2019. It'll be the very first one for the East Midlands. And so far, it's going to be quite big. <laughs> so I guess the key difference here then, so Women in Tech used to run it as a monthly event. Yeah, and this will be an annual. This will be an annual one. So I guess you haven't got the, the pressure of trying to get speakers every month, but, but you're kind of working towards a, a goal at a fixed date in the future. Yeah, I mean, this initial one's probably going to be more work than following because uh yeah there's a lot you have to consider uh, i've had to set up well myself and morton morton's helping me a lot 
Uh, we're working on this together. But we've had to set up accountancy and bank accounts and a business, and then trying to tie that all up in with paying deposits and organizing exactly what you need to pay for in advance to sort out how much money you need from sponsorships or budgeting. It's a lot of work for the first event. So whereas Women in Tech was more of a sort of passion project, this is actually a real proper business with a limited company. Yeah. Accountants. I guess so. I mean, they both feel like passion projects to me, Um, mostly because Morton deals with the actual setting up of the business accountants. <laughs> he does all the grown-up bits. Yeah, nice bit of delegating. Yeah, I, I don't like feeling like a grown-up. Um, <laughs> so he does all the important financial bits. Uh, I was involved in a lot of budgeting as well. Right. <clears throat> um, but yeah, Women in Tech, it never got to the size where we needed to make a business or... We did have a set-up bank account because you know, we need to sort out taxes still. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it wasn't to the degree of this event. Okay. So is DDD, <laughs> is it a commercial conference? Are you actually charging an entrance fee or is it still a, a community no, event? No, um, it's very much for the community, by the community. So we're sticking by the DDD principles as okay. much as we can. It's hosted on a Saturday, so making sure it's not on during a work day. Um, for the community, by the community. So not only does that mean we might have a nominal fee just to try and prevent dropout. We haven't decided yet. Hopefully we'll be able to make it free. We're still trying to determine that. Um, but even so, that would be like £20, like not yeah. a lot. So making it entirely affordable. Um, the talks are anonymous submission. So we won't know who's submitting the abstracts. We will just see the abstracts and title. Okay. Um, and all of the talks are voted for by people attending. So it's a popularity vote. Um, but there is some discretion by us on we don't want nine talks on blockchain for instance so it'll be by popularity but with a little bit of pragmatism (laughs) to make sure there's a little bit of a mix um we've got some great initiatives going for this as well so we're going to have mentorship support for first-time speakers or people who just feel like they need the support we've already got a lineup of uh some fantastic uh speakers already including yourself actually who've put up their hands and said happy to mentor yep one, one happy to help out there. Because it's scary being a first-time speaker, as we both know. It is, definitely. Um, we're going to arrange workshops for speakers that are optional beforehand to, again, kind of go through how to construct a good talk. Um, so we're going to have one of those before the event as well. So we're just trying to make it as open and inclusive as possible. Um, trying to think of the other DDD things. Uh, I can't remember them off the top of my head. There's four of them. Right. <laughs> but, but we meet all of them and it will be on our website in a couple of weeks. Okay, so you said there might be a nominal fee. I guess that's just to stop, just to make sure people actually want to attend and not drop out. It really is. Yeah. Um, we're discussing with a few other events at the moment if that actually works, because there's a bit of debate on whether it does or not. Okay. Because it's one of these things, once you earn a certain amount of money, suddenly 20 quid doesn't become very much anymore. So £20 is a lot to a student, yeah. but it's not very much to a, like a senior architect or a CTO. Uh, so we're trying to determine whether it's worth it or not. Probably we'll just go for a free ticket. Okay. So and just that... beg people not to, <laughs> not to just not turn up. Yeah, that's true. So I guess then everything's going to be sponsor-funded. Yeah, fully sponsor-funded. Uh, sponsorship packs should be going out at the end of this week. Okay. Um, we've got a fantastic designer in Tom Jepson who's sorted out a logo and he's doing our sponsorship pack at the moment. 
Um, website's going out soon as well. Uh, we've had great support from the other DDDs. So DDD Perth have allowed us to use their code, basically. Okay. Um, and we've got uh, a guy called John Nolan, who I've worked with, um, who's <laughs> many more years in front-end development than I do because my uh, experience of that is sitting in my room and trying to make a blog. <laughs> so we've got somebody who actually knows what they're doing through the website. <laughs> Uh, I can do back end all day, but yeah. front end, front I can't end. make anything pretty. You help with that one. Yeah. yeah, moving buttons left and right, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so we've got a great support network around us. And I think there's something I've learned from running women in tech is to let your support network actually support you. <laughs> yeah, so actually delegating out to people. Yeah, delegating out and listening. Uh, I mean, listening is a key skill in many aspects. Um, be it working as a developer or a manager or running an event, hmm. listening is so important. <laughs> you said about the uh, sponsorship packs, I mean you're, you're going to be offering different levels of sponsorship for yeah. different budgets. So we have um, some core uh, sponsorship tiers, the standard kind of gold, silver, bronze and, okay. and the standard tier as well, which all have different benefits. Um, we're kind of running it a bit like a phone package. So we have smaller ways to sponsor as well. Uh, I think the smallest is a bathroom basket. So you can provide deodorant and mouthwash and chewing gum, etc., yeah. for attendees and we'll put your logo on the basket. Uh, we're going to have a coffee cart sponsor. So there's different ways in which people can get involved. Well, businesses can get involved. We're also going to be running a couple of partnerships as well with some of uh, the local events, the idea being that they don't necessarily have to give money, but we'll support each other in any way we can. Okay. Oh, fantastic. Does that mean there's going to be like an expo there as well, so people can actually set up stands? Yeah. Um, so it's going to be hosted at Nottingham Trent University, the conference centre, which is pretty much in the middle of city centre. It's, it's a really beautiful venue, lots of open light, but it means we've got a great exhibition area, uh, where we'll have, I think it's about 15 stands from companies. Um, we're going to have breakout areas, canteen, um, and then three tracks of rooms. So one big kind of keynote room yeah. and two other rooms, um, which will be running throughout the day. We have the option to become an inclusivity sponsor as well. It's one of the more expensive things, but we would like to be able to achieve that because it means we'd get captioning for talks. Mm. Um, and included uh, in all of the event, we're going to be uh, Shuttersox, who are a local company again. We're trying to do local companies as yeah. much as possible. You can probably see a theme here. Um, they're going to be videoing all the talks. Oh, wow, cool. Because, well, Morton Stumson speaking, so have I. And, you know, a lot of conferences like to see evidence of you speaking previously so they can see what you like. A lot of meetups can't afford to take videos Absolutely, or have other yeah. reasons. Um, so we want to provide that to our speakers, have a video of them speaking that they can then use to apply to other conferences. Oh, that's a good idea. So it actually gives less experienced speakers a kind of thing they can put on their CV or their speaking CV. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the whole event is to celebrate the awesomeness that is the East Midlands. Nottingham, Derby, Leicester, Lincoln. Like, We've got great universities, great tech hub, just great people in general, mm. great businesses. And we really want to celebrate that. And as part of that, being able to give speakers the opportunity to showcase it elsewhere, I think that's great. Brilliant. 
Well, I wish you the best of luck with it. And Gonna need it. <laughs> I find it quite interesting. You said that you handed handed women in take over because you need to focus on other things, and then you've then taken on a much much bigger project. Yeah, I just deprioritise sleep. <laughs> yeah, slightly mad, but I wish you all the best of luck. With it. <laughs> Thank you. So, one thing we like to, or we want to end the interviews on, is um, sort of some bits of advice. So, if you had to give three bits of advice to anyone um, who was thinking of setting up a non-profit organisation like this or even anything that you think you'd do differently now with the experience that you've had, yeah. what, what those bits of advice be? Um, I suppose the first bit I've just covered is listening and trying to get advice from other people. I, that comes in two forms. Uh, first of all, with DDD East Midlands, we wouldn't have had a clue of what to do in terms of accountancy and setting up a business without mm. asking people who had already done it. We probably would have made a lot more mistakes. Right. So talk to people who already have the experience and learn from them. Um, that also goes for smaller events like, and being able to delegate out a bit of responsibility because yeah. <laughs> you're going to get knackered. Yeah, you can't, <laughs> do, everything, you can't do everything. So I guess that's what you said. One of the mistakes you made with women in tech was you took too much on yourself. Yeah, I took too much on at once. Um, I mean, women in tech was very early into my career. Mm. I've, I'm a little bit better at managing my time now, but back then, <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing in terms of time management and trying to take all that on myself as well. It, it was a foolish idea. So have some the, well, have a few people that you can trust mm-hmm. um, because if you don't trust them, you're just going to do the work again behind their back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Or you're going to like be checking their work, which is adding more work onto you. Like you need to have someone you trust. You need to have somebody who's capable of doing the work. Um, but have a support whether it's a support network or having having somebody to do that event with you you need to take holidays as well have the capability of doing that okay Um, so so we've got then uh, so making use of the network of people around you and and effectively delegating yep okay um and listening uh using tools like buffer or hootsuite so these are tools where you can link up all your social media profiles as much as we like to think we can get away without social media, we really can't these days. Yeah. <laughs> as you can hook up Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, etc., um, and it's one post to rule them all. So you can schedule your posts and also say which media you want them to go to. Okay. And you can do it for like a month in advance. So I, I found out about this from Women in Tech, and I would literally just sit in a bath and sort out my tweets for the next two months. <laughs> uh, I would find out who my speakers were, what their talks were about, try yeah. and find some blogs relating to them and set up all the social media. (laughs) Most people might read a book in the bath, but you schedule tweets. Oh, yeah. (laughs) There's how to lose many phones as well. Maybe get a waterproof case. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, using tools like Buffer or Hootsuite, definitely for an event. Um, And I mean, I've talked about the first thing, kind of using your support network for the event. Also listen to your attendees. Yeah. Uh, just because you think like this event will be amazing by doing it this way, you're not doing it for yourself. Mm. You're doing it for a community. And the community aren't always going to agree with you. <laughs> as sad as it is, it's not personal. Don't don't make the event personal. Yeah. If it is for um, making a better community. I mean, I say that it's, it always feels personal, but it's not. Um, so yeah, listen to your members and make sure that the event is meeting their needs rather than 
Otherwise, you're just going to have nobody turn up. Yeah, which is like the uh, that sort of traditional maxim in business, isn't it? Listen to your customers. Your customers know best. Yeah, I mean, there is. It's a two-edged sword. Um, if I had listened to everybody who attended Women in Tech when it first started, probably wouldn't be as open as we are now. Um, there were a few members who really did not want men attending at all okay. for various reasons, which I understand. Um, but the majority weren't bothered by men or uh, non-binary or otherwise attending. They wanted it to be fully inclusive right. rather than inclusivity through exclusivity. That's, okay. that's a whole rant. But so as much as they listen to everyone, listen to the majority, be pragmatic about it. Yeah, absolutely. Because you don't want to be running an event that you don't believe in either. So it's, it's a balance. Great. Well, I wish you all the best of luck in running DDD's Midlands. It sounds like you've got uh, got a lot of work cut out <laughs> for you. Yeah, if you want to give me a hand. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, it'll be it'll be good. Um, for anyone who's interested in sponsoring, feel free to contact me on Twitter or uh, Jessica at DDDEastMidlands.com is my email for the okay. event. And what's your Twitter handle? Uh, Jess P White. Jess P White. Yes. Jess, J E double S. Yep. P White. Yep. Great. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it's been a fascinating interview and I wish you all the best of luck. Oh, thank you for having me on. Great, thank you. <laughs> Cheers. Okay, so that was in our first interview with Jessica. Oh, and, well done. You know, she's a, a really fascinating person to talk to. You know, as she sort of said, you know, she's very early in her career. I mean, she's you know, not been long out of university. Probably one of the most qualified people I've spoken to in a long time, you know, with her sort of masters and d degree in neuroscience. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a long time in education. But the fact that she's got the tenacity to, you know, you know she's started off by setting up the Women in Technology group in Nottingham and is now going off to run a full conference is, uh, is fantastic and I wish, yeah. her, wish her the best of luck with it. Okay, so let's do our recommendations for this week. So do you want to go first, Kevin? Yeah, I've been um, reading, reading a, a big fan of Basecamp's work, um, David Hanemeyer Hansen and Jason Freed. Um, and they wrote a number of books, but the, the latest book is It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work. And I thought this is a, a great, you have to check this out, Steve. It's a great book. Um, it sort of shows how they've sort of structured their company around kind of keeping it easy, you know, a, a less stress-free sort of working environment, you know. So, that you know, in terms of like the pitch, the pricing, so they get the sort of optimum customers. So they, I think they have this one pricing tier now, it's $99 a month. Okay. Um, so they don't do these big enterprise customers because they're a bit of a pain and they don't do the, you know, the, the smaller companies that, you know, don't, people don't pay a lot. They can be a pain as well. They're going for this sort of middle ground. Oh, so instead of charging like really cheap prices and having lots of customers, they go, yeah. they go a little bit more expensive but have less customers. Yeah, they go the for this revenue. kind of middle ground which and they get these sort of nice, well, probably their ideal customers, I assume, are at that price point. But it's just quite interesting reading their philosophy, actually, of how they, you know, sort of saying it doesn't have to be, you know, Work can be crazy if you make it crazy, but if you want it to be not crazy and you know just you know go to work, do good work, not get stressed out, you know, um, there's a, you know you sort of, you can structure your company around that kind of philosophy. So it's just really interesting read. I just really enjoyed. it. I, I bought it and I read it over the weekend, um, and it's just a, a great read. Oh, cool! Well, let's check that one out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should do. It. So for my recommendation, um, I want to recommend it's it's on the Mac only. I'm afraid it's not it's not on Windows, but it's a, an app called OmniFocus. And it's kind of Bajra's the ultimate to-do app. So I was using okay. Trello quite a lot, but I found that Trello boards started getting really messy and a bit unwieldy. Yeah, yeah. 
And so therefore I just wasn't updating it as much. So someone recommended OmniFocus. Now, you know, from a UI point of view, it's quite bland. It literally is just a list of lists and then you can okay, add like yeah. a hierarchy of tags. But one thing I like about it is it kind of follows the uh, GTD or get things done style that was popularized okay. by uh, David Allen in his Getting Things Done book. Okay. And the reason I quite like it is, you know, he's got this thing called the inbox. You can go in and you can just freely write any ideas or tasks that you've got. So you don't necessarily have to, you know, file or classify them at that point. Okay. And you can go back and you can assign them to projects and it can assign different flags okay, or, yeah, or tags yeah. to them. But the thing I really like is it gives you a forecast view. So you click on the forecast and it will show you over the next few weeks just what you've got coming up. Okay. Yeah, and when, yeah. you, when your deadlines are. So it's quite a basic app, but I'm actually finding that I'm actually really more engaged with it and it's actually helping me plan. Yeah, yeah, I've got to find a, find a tool that works for you. I, mean, I do use Trello. Um, that's more for communicating with teams and, and, and other people, I think, Trello is, is useful. But perhaps if this is just for yourself, then is it this? Yeah, it's just for myself. I mean, yeah, no, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have any staff anyway, so. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I'll, I'll check that out. Okay, and uh, while I was at the conference, I asked Jessica for a recommendation as well. So I thought it'd be okay. fun just to see what our guests recommend. So uh, this is what Jessica had to recommend. So with monitoring in mind, rather than uh, starting a meetup, I recommend Practical Monitoring by Mike Julian, because it's my favorite monitoring book in the world. It covers the many different aspects of monitoring from front end to ops, development, uh, right through to business. It has examples from several different companies on how they approach the problems, and also tells you not to copy other companies and how they approach these problems, because they're not necessarily tailored for you. Um, but it's a really great piece of reading and you can pretty much complete it in three train trips. So it's short, it's sweet, it's educational. So cool, yeah, so that's Practical Monitoring by Mike Julian. Okay. And very important subject actually, because you know, being able to have a monitoring system or being able to visualize metrics in your business or key metrics in your business is kind of essential to all of us. Yeah, yeah, you've got to know where you're at. Yeah, I mean, I, I use loads of dashboards that are provided by different companies that I work with and they're just really useful daily to yeah, see yeah, how, sure. how things are going. So that wraps up uh, this episode, our very first interview, which, okay. which is good. It's good, yeah. to, good to have that done. And we'll be back in the next episode in a few weeks with um, another interview that I did whilst I was at Tekarama with a chap called Lars Clint, okay. who's going to talk to us about um, some of the stresses and strains of working for yourself and then kind of what happens if you need to go the other way and go back into employment. Yeah, that should be interesting. Look, looking forward to that one. Great, so see you all soon.